Get ready for the world's greatest Arsenal podcast. Welcome to another podcast by Guns and Yellow Ribbons. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Guns and Yellow Ribbons. I am Fergus. I am your host. I'm joined today by uh, the Chronicles um, of uh, the Chronicles of Aguna, Harry Simu, um, a Five Live Sky Sports, Ninety Mins. Talk sport, you name it. The man is all over the place. Started on the podcast just like this, made a career out of it, and he is another one of our Arsenal community uh, contributors. Harry, how are you? How are you doing? All good, mate. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. I know we've been uh, we've been trying to sort something out for a while, um, so glad to finally be here, man. How are you? Yeah, not bad, mate. A bit like you just had a, a bit of a rush around today. Some, you know, life gets in the way of this stuff. And I done one yesterday, and <laughs> I was I was speaking to Dell from Llewellyn Illustrations earlier today as well, planning for next week. So yeah, it's been it's been really good. But you you're you're mad busy these days, mad busy. Uh, it's it's quieting down a little bit now that the season isn't sort of going on, which is good. But then you get all the transfer stuff, don't you, to kind of deal with and, and trying to unpack, uh, you know, what is uh, genuine and what's not has been difficult, shall we say. But yeah, really busy touch wood. I, I can't complain. Um, you know, I'm I'm very, very fortunate to be able to do what I do. And um, and you shouldn't curse when the work comes because there will be times when it doesn't. So yeah, yeah that's very true. That's very life. true. Uh, before we start, apologies. Trevor can't be here. He's in New York. He's celebrating his 21st birthday, he told me, but I think it's more like 101 or something like that. So um, so let's let's talk about your your journey. The, the idea that's uh, what we've done all the summer is you mentioned transfer talk. We're trying to do not do a transfer talk. We're trying to do something different, trying to give back. We've done the history season last summer. We're doing uh, community contributors and we've got a lot of artists, but you've contributed to the Arsenal community over the last how many years? You started... 2017 I think you wrote a book didn't you uh it was at the end of the 2017-18 season so I would have started it in 2017 but I wouldn't have finished it until yeah I think June 2018 that was the that was the start for me so talk us about the talk to us about like the start of that sort of created the chronicles and how all that came about you probably like a lot of us on here um you were in the early days of podcasting but a lot of us are hobbyists and you've you've now brought it to the next level um how, how did it go so basically the the podcast was born out of the book so the book was first uh, before the podcast i was i was in a career that i, I really wasn't enjoying i was um i was kind of just coasting along you know when you're doing something that you're not really passionate about you're not really feeling it and you're kind of just coasting along that's basically what was happening with me and I thought I, I wanted to do something that was like a side thing something separate that would give me something to look forward to kind of and, and give me a bit of a distraction and at the time as well I remember in the job I was in there was a lot of issues regarding Brexit all of that coming up and work was a little bit quiet and it kind of just gave me a bit of spare time so I decided that I wanted to write some sort of book and I basically mm. thought of the idea of, of calling it the Chronicles of Aguna because it was basically going to be a chronicle of that season which was the 17-18 season I didn't know when I started it that that was going to be Wenger's last season because he didn't announce it of course until a couple of months before the end of the campaign so that helped obviously because there was much more interest on that season than maybe there would have been ordinarily 
So I started writing sort of diary entries for each game. So I'd write a little bit about, I started it off with a little bit about how I got into Arsenal, why I support Arsenal, et cetera, et cetera. And then with each um, match that we played, I would write like a sort of diary style uh, piece about that game. And I just kept going throughout the entire season. Um, if there was a big story in the middle of it, like there was a few bits and pieces that kind of happened off the pitch that were worthwhile discussing, uh, discussing, sorry. I used to write little sections about those. And then I basically got to about, when was it? We started it in August, probably mm. got to about October, November and thought, do I want to do something like with this? Like, can I actually do something with this? And I sent the idea and some of the, the pages to a couple of publishers who knocked me back straight away. Um, they said, you know, like, nice idea and all that, but, you know, it hasn't really got any credibility. Like, who the hell are you kind of thing? Why would why would this work for us? And some of them advised me, you know, you should go down the self-publishing route and and do it that way if, you, if you're keen to do it. And so I started thinking about how I could give it that little bit more credibility because everybody was telling me that, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work because of that. So I spoke to um, Kevin Campbell, who I'm sure you've spoken to many times Super as well. Kev, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolute legend. Um, genuinely the nicest ex-footballer I've ever come across and met and always willing to help. And I just said to Kevin, like, can I interview you for the purpose of this book? Like, can I sit down with you and just ask you questions about the team, about your thoughts, about your career, and, and basically add it to the book? So Kevin agreed. Um, I also spoke to Robbie Lyle of AFTV um, yep. about the journey of AFTV because at that point it was huge, you know, towards the back end of Wenger's career. Um, I spoke to Robbie about how he got there and I was still looking at it and I was like, I need something else as well. You know, I need another, another contributor, someone else who's of a high profile and hopefully that will help. And I managed through knowing somebody at TalkSport to get hold of Ray Parler. And Ray Parler said, yep, I'll do the interview. No problem. So then all of a sudden I had a book with Ray Parler in it, with Kevin Campbell in it, with Robbie's bit in it as well. And, and so to publishers, it was a much more sort of appealing prospect. So I yep. started again sending it around. And around about March, one of the uh, self-publishing companies that I'd been told to go to or, or recommended to said, you know what, we'll publish this. So yeah. they'll they'll take it on, which was great. Um, and then that obviously motivated me to kind of finish it off. And it wasn't easy because there were weeks where you just didn't get time to write your piece. And then you had to go back and then you had to try and remember like and be fresh in your sort of analysis of it. And and then I started the podcast towards the end of the book being finished. And that was and the reason I started the podcast was because it was a way of me putting all my thoughts down instantly and then being able to go back to it for the book. And there was no listeners at that point, like barely would get a hundred listens on a show. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it, the, the book done much better than I thought it would. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend it was like a bestseller or anything like that. But, um, I think we sold about in the end, I think it was just over 2000 copies, which for me was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Considering you, you have no background in writing like this, do you? Was it just no, like, just, yeah, it was just, um, just sort of through like trying to push it on social media and, and luckily like a few friends who have podcasts and stuff helped me by sort of asking me about it on the shows and putting links to it and stuff like that. 
and yeah, I managed to get a decent um, amount of sales. And then that's when I thought, yeah, I really want to pick this podcast up now and and start working on that and focusing on that. And with with, with the podcast um, uh, Chronicles of Laguna, the podcast uh, or Chronicles AFC, isn't it? Is the podcast. Um, Go on, uh, have I got that right? <laughs> it is, it's Chronicles of Aguna, but I, I abbreviate it to Chronicles FC uh, yes. on Twitter and stuff yeah. like that because it just it's just easier. So, was that where you start started podcasting, or did you do like what a lot of us have done and jumped on? I know you've done some bits for same old Arsenal. You've done some bits with uh, Robbie on AFTV, and and you've even been on Guns and Yellow Ribbons a couple of times as well in the, in the past. But by that stage, you'd already gone to a different level to anywhere we where we aim to be. But was that, that was that where you is is that what you started with? Did you start with the Chronicles? Did you start elsewhere? No. So I used to have a podcast with two really close friends of mine um, called. It was basically a, 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 almost a piss take of Sky Sports News, and we called it Sofa Sports News. And we used to sit on a sofa. Uh, we used to film it. We used to just chat about football and literally just argue. Like obviously in good nature, but you know, one was a United fan, one was a Spurs fan. Um, and I was the Arsenal fan, obviously. So I had an idea of how to do a podcast, but it, it never, like it, it done relatively well. Like I think we got shortlisted. We went to one of the awards nights for the, uh, football blogging awards as best newcomer, um, best new podcast. Uh, that would have been probably 2017. Um, so we had, you know, I had a bit of an understanding of how to do a podcast, but it wasn't like when I listened back to it now, the odd episode, um, it is really, really cringe. Like it was really bad, but luckily again, a few people that sort of caught wind of it were really, really helpful in that. So we managed to get an interview with Martin Tyler on that. And that kind of really gave me confidence that, you know, what, actually we can do something with this. Um, because I'd met Martin Tyler at a football uh sort of networking event where there was like agents and stuff and and people like that when i was trying to promote my book and i told martin tyler about it he came over he said hello to everyone he was you know what do you do what do you do and i told him about it and he said i'd love to jump on and help you and so that was kind of like a real lift off point for me with podcasting and then when you get some nice feedback and you know it gives you that confidence doesn't it to to say actually maybe i can do something with this instead of sort of kind of doubting myself all the time steve in the chat asked why did you call it the chronicles the chronicles being a diary the book being a diary of the season am i right in assuming that yeah basically basically that's it um i i might not have named it the chronicles of aguna if it was just a podcast i might have named it something else um i don't know what but that name appealed to me because that's literally what i was writing a chronicle of aguna there wasn't another podcast out there with that type of name and then because the podcast was, especially at the beginning and, and still is for the most part now, a, a solo podcast a lot of the time, it still kind of fits with the name. It isn't yep. like the Chronicles of Tengunas now. It's, you know, it's it's still mostly me giving my thoughts and then we get guests on, we do phone-ins and we do all different things around that. And you mentioned Martin Tyler there a few minutes ago. Would you say that was probably your first break, or what? What was your first break for to move the the podcast from the level to the hobbyist podcast like these are to moving into getting in with the various media companies and so on? 
Um, that wasn't really the break because even though it was Martin Tyler, there was still not very many listens because nobody was interested in it. But um, it, I feel your it, pain. It just gave me the confidence. <laughs> it just gave me the confidence to think that you know I could do something with this. And and I I did did it for a hobby for about what we from two thousand and eighteen at least until 2019 it was just a hobby um you know on the side i was working normal hours i was coming home i'd record an episode maybe one a week sometimes two a week if there was something worthwhile talking about um and as it's evolved and developed it's gone to nearly daily we probably do five a week now um and and during the transfer window we, we're a bit more reactionary so do additional bits and pieces when news and reports drop but the the reason that I managed to move from it being a hobby to being my job is because I gave up my job. I needed the time. Yes. I needed to put the effort in. And these things, like, they need a lot of love and, and a lot of time. You know yourself. You need to put so much time into it. It's not just jumping on and recording for one hour. It's, it's planning. It's getting guests. It's promoting it on social media. It's, you know there's just so much to it isn't it so i, I think i've been busy time. i think i've been busy this summer trying to do this different thing than just talking about because your content is created uh, a lot of the time if you're just doing it after after match ones or talking about the week what's happening in arsenal your content's created on the pitch or created a bit yeah. in the back of the tabloids but when you're trying to do something different it, it is so much hard work and then so many other people now are wanting to come onto podcasts you've got to do test chat with them you've got to do some background check uh you know to, just to, to see if you connect and you can talk and so on i remember meeting you um it was not long after you actually jacked in the main nine to five um, and because we've got a mutual friend in Dan Potts, well, we've got several mutual friends. Um, and uh, you, I said to you, you're doing really well, mate. What, what is it about? He said, Ferg, he said, it's hard bloody work. I said, but it's all about content. You just need to do content, content, content. And you are right. If you give up the rat run and you give up the nine to five and you have got the tenacity and the creativity, hence why this is on about uh, to creatives as well, to create the narrative, to create the topics, to create the conversations to talk about. You also, go on, sorry, you were going to have a reply there? No, 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 I wasn't. I was just having a sip. Okay. Go on, go so, you, you've also uh, worked with Lathe and you'd work with uh, the Gooner. You've written for the Gooner uh, fanzine. Talk to us a little bit about what you do for the Gooner and what you've done for the Gooner. Um, so with the Gooner, I'd, I'd love to do it much more regularly than I actually do, but just sometimes life gets in the way. Um, but yeah, Lathe was really kind and sort of reached out and said I'm interested in sort of having you feature in the Guna and uh, would I be able to to put down a few pieces write a few pieces gives me a deadline day uh, for the next edition the next issue and then um, and and what where he's brilliant is that he kind of gives you the freedom to write about what you want to write about uh, rather than write about something to 50% because you're not really on that you know, trailer thought, or you don't really believe in that. He's very much like, you know, go out there, think about what you want to write. Let me know so I can make sure that obviously there's no duplication, but then yeah, go for it. So yeah, I've written a few pieces for the Guna. I think I've probably featured in seven or eight of the okay. fanzines now. Um, as I say, I'd like to do it way more often, but there's been times where I've kind of been like, yep, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I've, I've been looking at that deadline and it feels like it's a million miles away. And then life catches up with you and then i've gone 
uh oh <laughs> not going to be able to get this done um by sort of tomorrow morning or whenever it is so i have missed a few and um i'm forever apologizing to leave for that just because he's, like you say, he's again going. a guy I, I need to reach out to we've we've tried to well we have i've spoken to him several times I, I would like to get him on and have a chat and we've had dan mankney on the the podcast a few times as well mm, who also yeah, contributes yeah. to it and uh ben bennett does the thing about the the uh the chants and the songs and he keeps on sending me messages with new chants and i'm gonna i'll never <laughs> i'll never remember all those words there's like whole verses more than three or four lines i'm ruined so but <laughs> We we meet on a regular basis, normally after a game when I walk around and see to Trev um, and you're recording your bit for probably probably for the Chronicles or for whichever uh, 90 minutes or whatever. Uh, you're on the North Bank, Block 7. Um, how long have you been attending Arsenal? Why Arsenal? What's the links to Islington? Talk so to my link to Islington is my dad. Um, it's, it's not me. Um, I was born actually in South London, so I'm a bit like Arsenal. I started in South London and I moved to North London. Um, my my dad was, is a North Londoner, like a lot of Greek Cypriots that came over to, to England back in those days. You know, they they all seem to settle around the Holloway, Archway area, um, Camden, Kentish Town, all those places. And so that's where my dad grew up. And um, And my dad is, I would go as far as saying, a bigger Arsenal fan than me. Um, Jesus. he is so biased. Uh, he is obsessed. He doesn't, you know, you think when someone gets a little bit older, they might calm down a little bit, not a chance. No. <laughs> um, I, I look at him sometimes and I think you're going to give yourself a heart attack one of these days, like with the way, you know, the, the, the way he reacts to certain things. But yeah, I, I didn't have a choice, but to be an Arsenal fan, to be honest with you, brainwashed from a very young age. I've got two brothers as well, uh, both Arsenal fans. So for us, it's it's our thing as a family. Like, I often say this to people and they're surprised, but like, I don't know what else really I have in common with my dad apart from Arsenal and football. Mm. And if we didn't have that, I think we would see each other half as much. Not in a, not in a horrible way, but it's, it, it, it's that opportunity for us to meet up every other week, go to a game. And that's why you, you'll see that I'm, I don't always come to the pubs before... I don't always come to the pubs after. I will from time to time. But the main reason I don't is not because I don't want to or because I don't want to socialise, but it's because it's my thing with my dad and my brothers. And we often go together and have something to eat before the game, you know, and, and we make our way down there together. So it's kind of part of my Arsenal routine. Um, so that that's where, my link. Where's your favourite haunts then? If you're to rec re recommend a, a Greek restaurant in, in North London for some good, decent... Uh, I can never know how to pronounce uh, the, the chicken skewer kebabs. Um, <laughs> Suvlaki. <laughs> Suvlaki. Where, where are you recommending? Uh, right now, I'd probably go to a place called Desiree in Cockfosters. That's probably the okay. number one at the minute. Um, if you want to go a bit more old school, there's a place on Middleton Road in Wood Green called uh, Vrisagi, which is very nice as well. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few places. There's still a few. I, I do see on your feed every now and then the, 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 <laughs> the, the sun, Sunday barbecues, and it is mouth-watering, absolutely mouth-watering. <laughs> so flipping back to the, the, the podcast again a little bit. Um, uh, so, actually, let's talk the North Bank before we flip back to the, the podcast. So hmm. the North Bank, were you North Bank Highbury before? And, uh, and how does the North Bank... The Emirates differ. So I was North Bank at Highbury. Um, I didn't have a season ticket at Highbury, uh, not my of my own anyway. Um, I was a kid. I was 
I was 16 when we moved to stadium. So I, I never got round to having my own season ticket out Highbury, but my dad used to take me. Um, and, and when we used to go, we were, we were North Bank. Um, I'm still there at the Emirates. That's probably more by coincidence rather than design. I, I would, I wouldn't be anywhere. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, but um, the way I got my season ticket at Emirates was the year we moved. I had left school and gone and got a full-time job. And a lot of my friends were at uni and were, were studying and were going to college and stuff. And one of my friends who was further ahead of me on the waiting list got offered a season ticket, but didn't have the money to buy it. So said to me, do you want it for this year? So I bought it because I had a job and, and then I ended up sort of renewing it for about three or four years while my mate was studying, was working out what he was going to be doing. And then by the time he got to the point where he was ready to get one, another one came up in my name. So we ended up, he ended up having mine and I ended up having his for years and years. And cause I'd built up any credits on my one, we didn't swap it because yeah. it wasn't fair and all of that stuff. But we got to the point where I think it was, was it last summer? We finally it was a couple of summers ago, the am amnesty where you could switch the names around. Yeah, and that stuff. was, yeah. yeah. And, and we finally did it then. Uh, but yeah, that, that's why I'm, uh, the North Bank is coincidence for me, but it is for me the best part is where I want to be. Um, sitting, so, or, yeah. sitting or standing? Standing, standing. standing. Do, do you know why? Partly because there's so many people at the Emirates that turn up late that actually to be standing means they don't affect you when they go past you. Yeah, Like you can just stand and they can just walk past you and get to their seat and you can just get on with it. Whereas sometimes I, I go and sit next to my dad if there's a spare seat next to him and he is right above the tunnel um, by the okay, dugout. Yeah, block 31 or whatever. 30, yeah. He's 32. He's block 32. Okay. And yeah. the amount of times you have to get up in the first 15 minutes of a game, it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. I can't, I can't have it. If I do a, a League Cup game, um, and you stand up, stand up for the uh, if you hate Tottenham, stand up for the Arsenal, stand up for the guy who wants a wee, stand up for the guy who's had too much to drink and wants to fall over. It is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, uh, going back to the podcast, um, who was your favorite guest that you can think of that you you interviewed and why? It doesn't have to be a footballer, it just ha there's a connection for what, whatever reason. Um, it's hard to say because um, I've been lucky enough to to have loads of like really cool people on the show and, you know, work with loads of cool people over at TalkSport and, and on different places. I think for me, I like someone that gives me something that I, I don't normally get, like in terms of I want somebody to come on the podcast and, you know, I've got my views, but I want somebody to come on the podcast and kind of give me the alternative view. Give me something to think about. I want to walk away from a podcast thinking, you know what? I didn't think of that before. And there's loads of people like that. You know, the likes of Dan Potts, Lee Judges, all of those guys have different views to me and we have great conversations. But in terms of probably my favourite guest overall, I want to say Adrian Clark. Um, he is good. He is good. He's, he's so good, like tactically. He's just so on the ball. And... You know, we we have some really good and deep Arsenal conversations. And, um, you know, with Adrian, that it's coming from a place of like, there's no, and I'm not, I, I'm not accusing people of this, but there is a little bit of a playing up element on some fan channels and things like that. And We've with Adrian, <laughs> yeah, I mean, with Adrian, you just know that it's 
that's that's genuine and it's it's insightful and and for me to to sit on the other side of the the sort of podcast and listen to that and then sort of bounce off of that I, I really do enjoy that so he's definitely up there question in the chat here um harry when did you realize unai emery wasn't the man for the job and the reason i ask you that now is because you said opposing views that sometimes and some people still are saying now that emery had a bad and a raw deal um uh you know i would say that i was quite early in doubting unai emery in comparison to a lot of others and i got a lot of criticism for that um in one way it kind of elevated the podcast because people were interested to hear what in their eyes nonsense I was going to come out with about Unai Emery it was never personal it was never abusive it was never any of that but I just didn't I couldn't see it I, I just couldn't see it Fergus I, I couldn't understand where we were going what we were trying to do the recruitment policy was just completely out of line with Unai Emery at that time you know there he was sort of campaigning for Wilfred Zaha and there we were signing Nicolas Pepe. There he was asking for Steven and Zonzi, a really big, powerful central midfield player. And we went and got little Lucas Torreira. And it just, for me, there was just no, no cohesion between him, what was going on upstairs, what was going on on the pitch. It just felt like we were making it up as we were going along. And um, I think it was around about uh, probably February in his first season that I started to say, look, I'm not saying he should be sacked because he hasn't even had a season here yet. And obviously we're in the chase for the Champions League and obviously we're still in the Europa League. Not saying he should be sacked, but I am starting to ask questions about where we're going. What are we doing? How are we going to get to the end? And what is the end goal? Because when we signed him and when we appointed him, it very much felt to me like Arsenal thought to themselves, we're not a million miles off the Champions League. So if we go and get an experienced coach here, he might just be able to put a band-aid over it and get us back in the Champions League, get that money coming back in, and then we'll review it and we'll look at it again. The fact that he was given a two-year contract was suspect in the first place for me. So I, I never really felt like he was a long-term option. And as time went on, you started to see that we were actually probably making more mistakes in terms of the transfer market, in terms of tactically, we were just as naive at times as we were under Arsene Wenger. So had we actually gone forward? And um, and it was probably around about February where I started to think and started to say, I'm not saying, I'm, and I was never like, you know, get him out. He's a disgrace, all of that. But it, it wasn't working for me. Um, that was probably about the time. Do you think on the on the Emery topic? While we've got this on here, do you, do you think he was brought in brought in to fail? No, um, but do you think he was brought in because they knew and looked at what happened in Manchester and saw how after such a sea change, it, the sea change that you would have after twenty two years of one man in charge, that the first one that was going to come in was always going to have a huge, huge job ahead of themselves. Yeah, and that's why I think they. Because remember, we heard lots of people saying um, that they were after Mikel Arteta at the time. Prior to hiring Unai Emery, Mikel Arteta was supposedly, um, you know, on the on the wish list. And that never happened. And we don't really know why that didn't happen. Maybe Mikel didn't feel he was ready, but also maybe Arsenal didn't want to take the risk. Because I think, as you say, they probably knew that whoever followed on from Arsene Wenger was going to have a bumpy ride. And it needed to be someone with the experience to handle that. Unai Emery couldn't handle that, um, you know, but having said that and 
being sort of very strong on my opinion that he wasn't the right man, he was set up to fail in the way that he wasn't backed and he wasn't supported. And that's why I give Mikel Arteta so much more room and leeway because I think that he's got an environment in which he can succeed. It's possible for him to succeed. Whereas under Unai Emery, if you're not going to give him that, if you're not going to give him the keys to the club, then what is the point in him being here? And all it was doing was seeing us regress further. I mean, I think we were about 11th or 12th in the league by the time he got sacked. Yeah. And then people oh. want to point to the fact that we ended up in eighth and use that as a stick to beat Mikel Arteta with. Well, actually, that regression had come way before he even arrived at the club. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, he was set up to fail for me. A, f- a final point on Unai Emery and also a player that you... Uh, uh, highly um, support. Um, that evening, October 29th, uh, against Crystal Palace, Granite Xhaka, um, a player that you you, you rate very highly. Uh, what what were your th- what was your thoughts on that incident? One from the player, and two, probably more in the view of Unai Emery's tactics. Bearing in mind that he, if he had got a result in that game, we were 2 nil up, I think, went 2-2. And if we had got 3-2, we would have qualified for the Champions League without having to worry about the rest of the games in the season and l- losing to Chelsea ultimately in, in the Europa League final. Talk us through that, that, that week, that scenario. I think Unai Emery was naive in the way he handled that period. Um, it was the results against Palace and Brighton that ultimately cost us. Um, you know, finishing in the Champions League. And in particular at the Palace game, he made wholesale changes because we had a Europa League game on the horizon. And Unai Emery stayed true to his reputation, right? Prioritised the Europa League when actually, you know, a win against Crystal Palace would have done it. And um, and and that was a much easier route, in my opinion, at that time. And he was naive, but maybe didn't recognize how difficult the Premier League can be and that the possibility of getting caught out like that was a real one. Um, and he let us down there. The Granite Xhaka thing for me was was the boiling over of emotions from a number of parties. And it was, I think, a telltale sign of where we were at as fans, where the club was at, um, how the players were feeling under the pressure. Because people say that Xhaka just exploded on that day. And that the fans just exploded on that day. I remember maybe a week and a half before being at Bramall Lane on a Wednesday night, maybe. Um, and we got beaten 1-0 by Sheffield United. And I remember the ironic cheers when he was taken off in that game. So it was coming. Um, I think that the tactics with which Unai Emery played, and the same with Arsene Wenger, put whoever played in defensive midfield for us in a really difficult situation. And Mikel Arteta will probably be the first to tell you that because he was the one that was being exposed in that area of the park time and time again. Why? Because there was a huge emphasis on getting the fullbacks forward without any plan to cover for that. And often you ended up getting caught on the break and asking someone who isn't that mobile anyway in Granite Xhaka to cover the entire width of the pitch. And it's simply impossible. It's impossible for the best players in the world, let alone Granite Xhaka. And I think the reaction from the fans to him going off was, in my opinion, wrong. And again, I've had a lot of criticism for saying that. I I just don't see how during a game when you're up against it, doing that to one of your players is is acceptable. And I don't see how it helps. He he wasn't it wasn't the 89th minute and Granite Xhaka was walking off the pitch. It was around about the 59, 50, 
58th minute, something like that. There was plenty of time to go in the game. And I don't think that him walking off in the way that we've seen many other players do when being substituted warranted and justified that reaction. His reaction then followed on, and that wasn't acceptable either. But I just think it was a culmination of wrongs that ultimately led to that that mess. And and I've 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 been involved in a piece of work that Granite. Have you seen the the Players Tribune interview that Granite Xhaka did not too long ago? Uh, I, I scanned read it. I, I yeah, I, I have seen it. Yes. So it was it was, it was, it was insightful as well. Yeah, and it was brilliant. And um, I work for Ninety Min, who are owned by the same company as the Players Tribune. So I was kind of talking to the guys that were making it and they kind of asked me, you know, what, what do you think would be good things to ask Granite from an Arsenal perspective and and watch the edits and, you know, what give feedback along the way while that whole project was being put together. And I actually, I actually felt for Granite Xhaka watching that. Watching that interview, you can see that it genuinely sort of unnerved him. And, and I don't really know how he could ever go back to being lovey-dovey with the fans like he says it himself like it's not perfect and 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 rightly so if if it was to be perfect now it would, would be fake wouldn't it as he says so just kind of i'm i'm so over that and i think Rick, thinking back oh. thinking back to that night okay because i'm on i'm just around the corner from you in block five and mm. i recall it extremely clearly because us as fans are were were pilloried for so-called booing him which i don't think Especially in the North Bank, I don't think that I didn't hear anybody boo. I heard people going, for bloody sake, hurry up, come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. There was an awful lot more of that. And in the end, when he just started, go, seemed like he went slower and slower, people are going, come on. There was an awful lot more than that rather than booing. And I don't know if it affects mics and stuff at the the way they, the, the TV companies use them and so on. I, again, I, I would never, I, I'm not a huge Granite fan. I don't think he adds to our game but I will add the caveat that he's probably the most improved player we had uh, since January of this year in 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 the latter end of the season I thought it was really really good but did you hear all as much booing around you as or was it just frustration I heard boos but I heard a lot of what you said as well people telling him to f off to effing hurry up and all of that stuff um but for me and and I've got to admit at that moment I turned around and snapped at someone that was behind me who had spent the entire season just moaning about everything that Granite Xhaka did. And and I got a little bit frustrated by it because I knew that there were people in that stadium who only reacted that way because it was Granite Xhaka. Yeah. And had it been anybody else, the reaction wouldn't have been half as much because he's kind of been painted as this villain at Arsenal. As You know, I hear some people saying to me sometimes, Ever since he's come, we haven't been in the Champions League. It's because of Granite Xhaka. We've... And that's nonsense. No, it's not. <laughs> we've not had a good enough team around him either, have we? Yeah, we've not had a team. It's To say that he is the sole reason we've not been in the Champions League is nonsense. The team's not been good enough. Um, at times and in moments, he's not been good enough personally. But he's not the only one to blame. And to kind of put that label on someone, it just goes to show that you know, there has always been this uncertainty around him. And that, you know what else doesn't help things like that? When people constantly say stuff like, we could have signed N'Golo Kante, but we signed Granite Xhaka. And then you watch the two career trajectories and you watch N'Golo Kante sort of go on and, and win things and be excellent. Do we know how close that was? Do, do we know that 
Arsene Wenger sat down in a room with both of we, them. We've we've got a reliable them. source that their dad was at the airport to pick them up to uh, bring them bring them to Arsenal. We brought them to Chelsea. Only a joke. That is a <laughs> in in house joke uh, from a WhatsApp group. But <laughs> um, yeah, to be honest, um, Granite is a decent player. Uh, I just find sometimes some of his decision making and his tackling and so on is like you can oh, look I, at Man and City. I agree. I yeah. agree. I, I don't think he's a. I don't think he's an amazing player. I don't think that. He's flawless. I I recognise his limitations. I think what Mikel Arteta has done better than Emery and better than Wenger did before him is he's managed to compensate for those limitations in the way he sets up the rest of the team. And I think that that's why we're seeing a much better Granite Xhaka now than the Xhaka that we've seen in the past. Yeah, there's uh, plenty of comments in the chat there, people. Mixed mixed views as you would expect about all players, but he does seem a little bit more picked out than anybody else. Flicking back to your podcasting and your media career, because now you're everywhere. Um, you're on Five Live. I'm sitting in the car and we're going to have a, an Arsenal expert phone in. It's either you or Sophie Nicolau on on um, on Sky Sports and, uh, you know, Talk Sport 2. You do a regular, regular spot on. Um, who's the guest... And it doesn't have to be Arsenal related. This one, who's the guest that you found the the uh, well the most your favourite guest? You said was Adrian uh, Clark. Adrian Clark. Um, would you say he's the most interesting guest as well? Yeah, he's he's up there because the thing with Adrian is that he's got that perfect balance between being like a really good analyst and now journalist, but he's also played the game. And and I yeah. think there are an awful lot of ex footballers in the media that are in the media solely because they're ex-footballers. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but they don't offer the kind of insight that Adrian does. Um, you know, in a lot of instances that I'd rather listen to some journalists because I feel like what footballers have is they have the ability to tell you dressing room stories that yes. you would never get from a journalist. But that doesn't always mean that their analysis is is spot on. And there, was, there are some really good ones. But there are also some um, very, in my opinion, average ones that have media Ray Parler, because Ray Parler is uh, one of those that can do the dressing room stories as well as the the the, the analysis. But there are some other like former Aston Villa players and so on who are on different channels that um, aren't as good. But they're they're earlier in their career as well, you know. And you know, footballers are gifted with a lot of skills, but not necessarily gifted with the skills to be able to do media as well. And they they get trained on it and so on. But if I was to ask you who was the guest that you were most awestruck by, who would that be? Um, probably Freddie Lundberg. Um, I was really, really lucky to go and cover an Arsenal under-23s game when I first sort of left my day job. I, I, I picked up a writing contract for a few months um, and, uh, and one of the tasks was to go and cover an under-23s game and... At under-23s games, it's really, really different, right? So when you go to the Emirates in the press box, you kind of, you've got the ability to go to the press conference, you've got the ability to go to the mix zone and, and hopefully pick up an interview. But there's so much competition, like, and there's so many people there that, you know, just they have that connection. They know them already. The press officer knows them, pulls them to the front. Like, if you're a newcomer like I am, it's really, really hard to go there and get anything really of substance. Um, yeah, it's great to be in the press conference. From time to time, I've had the opportunity to ask a question, which has been amazing. But, you know, unless you're BBC, Sky, um, you know, one of those big representatives, you do struggle with that. So I went to this under-23s game at Boreham Wood and 
Freddie Lundberg was the manager at the time. And one of the guys that worked at Arsenal in the media team, we got talking sort of because the press box at Boromud is like two desks. And we got talking and he said, if you hang about afterwards uh, by the changing room, then most of the time, Freddie Lundberg comes out and he has a little chat with us. Um, so if you hang around, I'm, I'm sure he'll, um, you know, I'm sure he'll have a chat with you. And I'd already finished my piece. Like my, my written piece was done. The work was done. It had been submitted. And I thought I'm going to hang about. And I thought I can't really just like stick a phone in Freddie Lundberg's face and say and, and start interviewing without being clear what I was doing it for. So I said, look, Freddie, listen, like I've got a podcast. Um, you know, I've just finished my work. Would you mind speaking with me for a, a few minutes? I was looking for like two, three minutes and, you know, voice note on your phone, just kind of stick it in his face like that and, and chat to him about the game. And he was so good about it. And he stood with me for about 18 minutes. Oh, and wow. it, one of my really early episodes was built around that chat with Freddie Lundberg about some of the young players. And that for me was amazing because not only was it like a massive name to put on your podcast, but the the way he was so open to it and fine with it and cool with it and, I'm willing to give you his time, even though he did, could have just walked. Did he not? Do you know what you were trying to do, and 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 who who you were? You know, like because some of the AFTV guys are known and stuff like that, and other, uh, you know, I was going to say amateurs, but you know what I mean. You know where where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, he 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 didn't really ask that many questions. He, I said to him that it's my own podcast. He said, "What's it called?" So it's the Chronicles of Aguna. He says, "Where does it go out?" I said. At the time, it was only on audio. It wasn't on YouTube. So I said, look, it goes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all those places. And he said, yeah, no problem. And he did it. Um, he didn't know who I was. He, you know, didn't wouldn't have had a clue and, and wouldn't have a clue today. But, um, yeah, it was just I just thought it was a really nice touch of him to, to sort of stand there and give me that time of day when he it was pissing down with rain as well. Like he could have just walked off. <laughs> And and to this day, because of where you've made it with uh, the various media outlets, you can, if you wanted on a, a regular match day, use your media pass to get into a game? I can apply. Um, you don't get guaranteed entry. It's not like you can just turn up and walk in. You you need okay. to apply uh, for accreditation through a system called DataCo. And then you get a notification if your application has been successful or not. And then if it is, then you can turn up to the media entrance and go in. But I'll be honest with you, after the first few times I went, and I went for a phase where I went quite a lot, I started to think like, unless I have a specific piece of work that I need it for, um, unless I have to report on the press conference literally straight bang after it happens, unless I have to do any of those things, I don't want to be in there. I, no. Honestly, I, I genuinely don't like, I don't really find it to be a nice environment. I feel it to be like a a closed shop in terms of there's clicks and you're never going to get into those clicks unless you are one of those big journos. Um, you know, you, you kind of end up sort of hanging around by yourself, but like a bit of a loner really. Um, yeah. Okay. There's a buffet that you can tuck into for free and there's free drinks and, and all of that stuff. And you can go and sit in the press conference. Great. But unless there is a specific purpose for it. I'd rather be in the North Bank. And I genuinely mean that. Um, no, I, I, I totally get that because I've got offered club seats, box seats, everything else. And even away games, I was offered to get into 
not Vardy's box, but next to them, the good friends are theirs. And a friend of mine said, oh, I'll get you in the box. I'll get you parking underneath. I said, you can sort the parking out, mate, if you want, because I am driving up. But I want to be in with the lads. I want to be in in with us. You know, because like you said, the connection with your dad and, and your brothers and stuff of football, that, the whole thing that why we go to football, probably it varies to different people, but anywhere from 25% to 10% of the day is the 90 minutes on the pitch. The rest of it is the beers in the pub, the food, the talking throughout the week. And the reason I know you, the reason I know Dan Pottsley judges, all these other different people are all because of the North Bank and all because of the Arsenal Football Club. So, yeah, I really do get that. I really do get that. Another question in the chat is, um, how do you work with 90 Minutes? Um, I know you write an article, but how how do they link with your podcast? Because I know you've got a a link with them there. Yeah, so... um... So I started off with 90 Min by doing their weekly uh, YouTube show. That's how I got involved with them. Um, used to run twice a week. It is coming back to twice a week when the season resumes. For now, there's some transfer content on the channel, which you can check out. Um, so, yeah, I started off doing that. They asked me to write a few Arsenal pieces uh, while I had that association with them. And uh, 90 Min have built a podcast network where they have sort of a number of shows that are linked um, and they offer you sort of lots of support and and you become part of the network and you become sort of their go-to podcast for whatever club it is that you cover. Um, I was asked by 90 Min to, um, to, to host an Arsenal podcast that they were going to start themselves. Uh, and then after sort of chatting and stuff, we, we came to an agreement on how the Chronicles of Aguna could partner up with 90 Min um, and that way the content was already there. I wasn't duplicating what I was doing, worked for them, worked for me. And, um, and now we've got that link and I'm, I'm now as well, the, the head of the 90 min podcast network, um, oh, wow, which wow, is wow. A, a new nice. thing I've just taken on. So yeah, um, really strong connection with 90 min for me, 90 min, are, you know, amazing. They've given me an opportunity to continue, uh, sort of, um, pretending to have a real job basically <laughs> <laughs> um listen with in that area and and even on the chronicles and 90 mins and and so on what's it like maybe i suppose if i think of you talk talk sport two show and um i don't know tottenham have just got beaten or arsenal have just been beaten by tottenham or chelsea and you get rival fans on those phone-ins coming on and talking to you they know who you are um what's it like talking to rival fans and have you interviewed done many interviews with rival fans um i tend to like so for example with spurs let's let's use spurs as the example i've got a few friends that support spurs who i know can be reasonable like there will be that bit of banter they will text me when they beat us they will send me this they will send me that but for the most part i know that you know for work purposes they can be they can be good and they can be sensible in their views and stuff so i've been really lucky that most of the people i've worked with of rival clubs are, are very good at what they do and it it doesn't really turn into you know the whole back and forth but it is difficult like because whereas in the past if arsenal got beat at the weekend i could go to work on monday and almost once you've had that little chat with the guys at work in the morning about what happened in the weekend's football you can kind of put it to one side and get on with it but now i have to kind of live and breathe it every day and you go over things over and over again and then you overthink it and then you think of things that you wouldn't have thought of if you didn't have the time and you end up getting deeper and deeper into it. And now a bad result can affect, I know for all Arsenal fans, it affects you for a period of time, 
But that period of time seems to feel extended now because there's no getting away from it. There's no switching off from it. Um, so that's one of the big difficulties, I would say, when you, you know, like I know a lot of people that work in this industry now who follow a club, but they're not, they're not fanatic about their club. They're not diehard with that club. They've got a much more broader view on football. And, and I haven't been able to do that. Um, I haven't been able to go, yeah, I am an Arsenal man, but I'm a football man first and foremost. Like I am a football man, but not more than I am an Arsenal can, man. Can, can you see that changing? Um, I don't see it changing in terms of my emotions, but I, I have to learn to be able to put it to one side more. I think that's mm. one of my biggest development areas. Like sometimes people, I, I don't think it's difficult to know that I'm an Arsenal fan, even if I don't tell you based on some of my views when I'm on the radio or whatever. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, but at, by that same token, I've only got work because I'm seen as someone who sp focuses specifically on, on one club. And the, the level of analysis I can give on, on that club is much deeper than anything else I can do. So it's kind of a good point, but it's also something that can potentially hold you back. If you don't mm. learn to not switch it off, but deal with those emotions when having those conversations with rival fans and, and pundits and stuff associated to different clubs. In the background, we can see a few shirts and scarves and in pride <laughs> of place is a blue and white one. Uh, England, Greece, Cyprus. Where, where are we going? Where, where's your legions lie then? This, I know this. is, <laughs> this is uh, a scarf from a club in Cyprus called, uh, I'll get it in the camera, uh, called Anorthosis, who are one of the big sides in Cyprus. And this is who uh, like my, my family in Cyprus support. Um, so yeah, that's that's what that is. It's not Tottenham, don't worry. Um, but in terms I, of, I could, <laughs> I, I could see by the writing, don't worry. <laughs> in terms of um, international allegiances, I don't. I mean, look, I always want Greece and Cyprus to do well. I'm a Greek Cypriot, so obviously, uh, you know, they they are the two teams that I look at and, and watch with interest. I've got to be honest, I'm not an England fan, and and a lot of people find that bemusing. They're like, how do you watch English football every week, but you're not an England fan? Well, the truth is that growing up, I despised most of that team. I was an Arsenal man in the height of the Wenger-Fergie era. I couldn't turn up one day and want David Beckham to do well or Paul Scholes to do well or Re Wayne Rooney and Rio Ferdinand. I, I couldn't stand any of them. Um, and, and to then be able to go into a World Cup and turn that off, I just couldn't do it. It was impossible for me. And I think because it wasn't really pushed on me. Like my dad isn't an England fan. Um, a lot of my friends aren't England fans. You know, we're, we're from a different background. So it was never forced on me. And I just, I just find it hard to, to get behind rival teams I, players. I, 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 I get that. Um, I get the uh, non-England fan because I'm, I'm not an England fan. I always like to see England do well in a tournament because I live here. I've lived here for 30 odd years, but I was born and bred Irish. So, you know, if I want to see Ireland do well, we get to a tournament once or twice in my lifetime. So I want to get them, if they get out of the group stages, we've won the World Cup. You know? <laughs> and and for Roy Keane to do what he did in Japan and Korea, for me, it's sacrilege. I, can't, I know he was a hero in Ireland, but for me... I don't care what the, the background story is. I don't care. You don't walk out in your country on that. And 
and and Thierry Henry doing the hand of frog to knock us out of possibly getting into into I can't remember with the Euros of the World Cup. That that was that was a tough blow. That was a tough blow, imagine. especially for a player that you know I idolise as well. Him and Burkamp are my, my favourite two players. Plus you got old Donkey Adams behind me as well. Um, I suppose to just to finish off, you've type done it already, but probably. Um, Reflection on last season, reflection on Arteta so far, and expect uh, expectations for next. Um, on Arteta so far, I think he's done a lot of good work. I think he's he's had to deal with some very difficult situations. I think he's had to come in and, and clean up a lot of mess left by not just Unai Emery, but by Arsene Wenger, by poor decisions made in the transfer market by a number of people. You know, Rouse and Lee, Ivan Gazidis. Uh, Sven Mislintat, all of those guys are responsible for where we are today. Um, so I think Mikel Arteta has come in, obviously, with no experience and had to take on a task that I think even the most experienced of managers would have found difficult. I really do believe that. Mm. And I think the fact that we're looking at it this summer again and we're looking at players that are hangovers from previous regimes that we just can't shift. Um, you know, your Lucas Terreras, your, you know, your people like that, your Nicolas Pepe's, we, these are mistakes of the past. And um, and and so Mikel Arteta's got to contend with all of that. The first season, obviously, he took over in December. I didn't have any expectation at that point. You know, for me, it was let's get to the end of the season and we go again. Um, he kind of got me on side with the way he spoke when he first took the job. I thought he spoke brilliantly. And he kind of nailed all the points that many of us as Arsenal fans had been bleating on about for years um, before that, you know, about the commitment, about the attitude of people, about the culture, all of that stuff. And then obviously he, he won the FA Cup that season. And I think the problem was that the level of expectation just shot up and it really shouldn't have because it was a cup competition. It was an anomaly. And we went into the next season and again, lots of change, some business done, not enough business done, still struggling with the problems of the past and the, the drain that some of those issues were having on us, the Mesut Ozil thing, uh, you know, some of the, the big contracts we had very average players on. And then we finished eighth again, and obviously that wasn't good enough. People were upset about the way we went out of the Europa League, and rightly so. I thought Mikel Arteta played a part in that as well. And then we moved on to last season, and it was very much for me not the last chance saloon, but you have to show us something now, because if you don't, people are going to start to ask questions. I thought two and a half seasons was enough for him to show some progress, not for him to finish the project and for us to be lifting the Premier League trophy, but for us to show some movement in the right direction. And I think although there were dips last season, although there were some difficult moments, I think largely we improved. Um, you know, we were winning games that we wouldn't have won in seasons prior. We still lost too many games for me, and that was right. a big problem, but we didn't get held to too many draws by sides kind of parking the bus. We found a way of getting around that problem. Um, you know, the signings again that he made last summer were for the most part, very positive. And, you know, the more good windows they have, the more improvement you see on the pitch, the more you should back off a little bit and trust that what they're doing is right. And I think we're going into, a, well, we're in a really crucial summer now. If we get the business right again and we continue to improve on the pitch structurally the way we have, um, the young players continue to improve. There's no reason why we can't be challenging for the top four again next season. And that's got to be the goal. There's no point in saying we've got to be challenging for the title because we're a million miles off of that. Let's get to one place at a time. We're in the Europa League this season. Now the goal next season has to be Champions League. But again, we suffered this season from a raise in expectations 
because of factors that maybe weren't always in our control. You know, Man United weren't very good. Tottenham had some difficult periods, had to sack a manager during the season. At times, it looked like Chelsea were going off the rails and that they were potentially catchable. But all of those opportunities, in my opinion, mean nothing unless you're good enough to capitalise on them. And we just fell short. And we fell short because I think, uh, you know, people will point to the January window. It's part of the reason, but it's not all yeah. of the reason. I mean, I, I don't remember a single person during January jumping on a podcast and talking about the need for fullbacks. And we ended up with no fullbacks in the last two months of the season. And that really, really cost us. You know, I never heard anybody sort of bleating on about Thomas Partey and somebody to cover him. And we lost Thomas Partey and it was a big, big problem. Everybody mm. was banging on about a striker. And, you know, yes, we didn't score enough goals from that position. And I think that was a valid criticism. But I think there were, I, I do, I, I genuinely believe that if Tommy Asu and Kieran Tierney had remained fit, Arsenal would have qualified for the Champions League. Uh or even one of them stayed fit, I think. Yeah. Because yeah, I think yeah. I think it's stretching having to play Shaka left back, having to play Cedric when he's he's not great. Nuno Tavares was out of his depth at times, you know, and the fans weren't great with him either. But so I give you a choice. Finish sixth and win the Europa League or finish fourth, which do you want? I'd pick the Europa League because I was too young to remember when Arsenal last won a European trophy. So for me, that would be amazing. I'd be on cloud nine. I think if we finished in the top four, that would show more progress in that I believe the league is a better barometer of where you are because you need to be consistent over the course of 38 games. But I want a European trophy. If that's the uh, How, route, how do you think the Twitter sphere, the social media uh, sphere, the, the podcast sphere would, would react if we dropped down a place but then end up getting to the final and win the, the Europa League? He couldn't win, could he? No, he, he can't win because there. What what's happened lately, and and you know maybe I'm guilty of this as well. Like, but what I feel has has happened is that our role as supporters has has, has been lost on us. Like, ultimately, as a supporter, your job is to go there and get behind the team. That's your that that's what you are as a supporter by calling yourself a supporter and by saying that's what I am. You are committing to supporting the team. Now, that doesn't mean you have to agree with every individual decision that the club makes. You don't have to love every single player. You don't have to adore every single player. But ultimately, you need to be behind the team and behind your club. And, and I think back to when I was younger and I would defend Arsenal for anything. You could be 100% spot on in your argument and I wouldn't have it if it was anti-Arsenal. And, and, and I've kind of had to kind of reset myself back to what I was then because... That is, that then I was a supporter. What I became afterwards, uh, what I found myself turning into was a critic. And I don't want to be a critic of something I love. Like you can be constructively critical and, and air those opinions. And that is absolutely fine. But there comes a point where you have to do what your duty is first and foremost as a supporter. And that is get behind the team. And there are too many people out there for me that are obsessed with, being seen as a voice on Twitter, being proven right, looking for ways of scoring points against fans that have a different opinion to them. And when when you start getting sucked into that world, it's, it's very easy to get that way and, and to lose sight of what a supporter is. And I genuinely do think there are a lot of people in the Arsenal world that, you know, Arsenal could 
could win the title and lose one game and they'd be moaning that we lost the one game. Like there, there are people like that out there now. And, you know, it's for me, it just, it, if you're going to be miserable about something all the bloody time, then is it the hobby for you? Like, is it what you want? <laughs> I like, totally, yeah. I totally agree. I totally I, agree. I and, I, I, and listen, I don't know if other clubs have this, but it, it because it, it, it's, it, it's all consuming for us because we talk and follow and we share views and everyone's got a phone in their hand all the time. It, it just probably feels like it's always Arsenal. Harry Simeon, thank you very, very much. An Arsenal community contributor in many more ways than uh, than just drawing a picture or <laughs> writing a book or talking a, talking a story. Um, looking forward to meeting you again um, uh, at the beginning of the season. I'm sure we'll Definitely. catch up. Uh, let people know where they can catch you. Well, they probably know already. Tell them where they can catch me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can catch the Guns and Yellow Ribbons podcast on all major podcasters. There you go. Um, <laughs> brilliant stuff. Uh, yeah, you can just you can follow me on Twitter at Harry Simi. I basically tweet everything there. Um, or you can check out the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, which is now on audio and on YouTube as well. And you've got a Patreon channel as well, which I subscribe to. Yes, the member, uh, the members thing on there as well yeah for sure yeah but i don't know how to use it that's uh, (laughs) yeah that's optional it's not compulsory but it's optional um and i I do i appreciate all the support because when you're when you take a a risk to do something that you want to do and when you jump from a safety position which I, i was in i was in a really comfortable safe position you 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 need that little bit of help um whether that's like one pound, two pound a month from someone, it it when it multiplies, it really, really does help. And it allows you to continue and as a freelancer, dedicate more time to what it is that you want to be doing. So I am so appreciative of, of everyone that is a, a member as well. And uh, thanks to you as well, mate. You're welcome. You're welcome. Listen, you have been watching Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. If you like what we do, hit the like button. We do it for hobby uh, and we do it because we like talking to Arsenal. Uh, if you like it, again, share it around there among your friends using the hashtag Arsenal Community Contributors. Um, and you can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and all the audio platforms as well. Harry, thanks very much. Have a great evening, mate. And up Thank you, mate. You too. You've been listening to Guns and Yellow Ribbon, an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. Follow us on Facebook at Guns and Yellow Ribbons and Twitter at Guns and Ribbons. And remember to rate and review us too.